Okay, so we'd like to welcome you to part three today. We're going to push the envelope and do three parts today. And uh, this is for our Bible study and current event study for 72907. And we're going to get into uh, this article that I've received. And I've been wanting to do this study for a long time. But it's entitled Scientology, Aleister Crowley, L. Ron Hubbard, and Black Magic. It's a nice, light-hearted, whimsical title. And... Uh, there's a book that a lot of this is based from called L. Ron Hubbard, Messiah or Madman, which is a detailed and extensive examination of the inner workings of the Church of Scientology, including personal interviews and court records. Cordillion, who's the guy that authored it, his last name, exposes many secret Scientology practices and teachings, one of the most comprehensive books on the subject. Now, I can email you this uh, teaching and you have all the links, and you can go into all this and, and see all the... I, I've had... Um, I'm a chiropractor, and, and I've had uh, some dealings recently with a... At the time, I had... Uh, it was before I was saved. I had encouraged a friend of our families to go into the chiropractic profession. And she went to a college that I recommended her to go. And she was fine. She went through it. And, but the problem is, is, is you run into a lot of the New Age stuff within that, and, and uh, knowing what I know now about the New Age influences, I would be very reluctant to refer anybody into the chiropractic profession, because so much of the alternative health care is just entrenched in New Age, and I know I was entrenched in it when I got out, it's all I knew, and the Lord delivered me from all that, but she got into all the, the hocus pocus and all this other stuff, and now recently she's gotten heavily into Scientology, you know, she's going to the seminars, and there's a big movement within chiropractic uh, through a practice organization called Singer. And they are um, real, real, real heavy into practice management through Scientology. Because, see, what L. Ron Hubbard promotes is a lot of, as far as running businesses, he promotes a lot of what they call statistical analysis of the business. Everything's done on stats. And I remember I worked with a guy who his brother was into this heavily, and we ran the clinic that way. And it's a really miserable way to, to, to run a clinic, because it, uh, it comes down to numbers, and your stats, and are you going up or down, or are you failing, or, or the, you know, and it, it's not so much about getting the patient better, but it's, it's about making money, money. So, the Scientologists have, have incorporated this in, and they're really going after a, a segment of the chiropractic industry. Now, the modern day... I would say capital of Scientology is Clearwater, Florida. And I can remember I even went on a job interview up in Clearwater one time. And I walked into this practice, and I had no idea, but they were heavy, heavy-duty Scientology. Most of the chiropractors in Clearwater are totally into Scientology. And they wanted somebody to come in there and do all the work for them. Essentially, is what it boiled down to. And I remember they ushered me into this big room at the end of this tour, this clinic. It was a pretty nice clinic. And... It was this torn from top to bottom were all these videos about Scientology and L. Ron Hubbard and practice management and all this. And at that point, I knew I had to get out of there. I was a baby Christian, but I still knew better. But I, they didn't tell me this stuff before it came. And then I remember they made me a job offer, and it was, the, it was the biggest insult of a job offer I'd ever received. And they wanted me to do more work for the money that they were... Then it was just unbelievable, the audacity. But... Um, Evidently, that's how they run things. They, they, turn, they, they, they breed a bunch of slave drivers, is essentially how it goes. Because if you get into the Scientology stuff, it also costs a lot to attend these seminars. And then there's the spiritual component. Because then you start believing that this is the only way, and, you, and, and it's a cult, and it's a very, very powerful cult. 
and you get into this stuff. So I've had a lot of personal one-on-one dealings with Scientology, so I figured it was time to do an expose on Scientology and expose this devil religion for what it is. Because that's all it is. It's straight from the pit of hell. Let's talk about L. Ron Hubbard. Now, the Bible says if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? Well, L. Ron Hubbard was the modern-day foundation of the Scientology movement. He was the founder. Okay? Let's look at L. Ron Hubbard. This, this section's entitled... Hubbard's Magic. Now, there's links to all of this stuff that I'm talking about, and this is a very, very highly, highly referenced report. Okay, everything is with footnotes and referenced. It goes on to say, It is not surprising, then, that an examination of L. Ron Hubbard's life reveals he was significantly influenced and was a practitioner of black arts, the black arts and the occult. John, John Attack, a former Scientologist and highly respected biographer of Hubbard, in Scientology, has collected probably the most extensive research archives on Scientology. Attack writes, quote, it is impossible to arrive at an understanding of Scientology without taking into account its creator's extensive involvement with magic. And again, this is, this is all right. Re- I'm not going to read every reference to you. I will send you the article and you can check them out for yourself if you doubt any of this. <clears throat> Attack states that when one examines Hubbard's private letters and papers, which were revealed in the Church of Scientology versus Armstrong trial, and compares the teachings of Scientologies with those of the infamous occult leader, Aleister Crowley, the connection is inescapable. Aleister Crowley, the great beast, the man that stylized himself as the human 666 in walking form, the man that bragged about how he, how he would um, sodomize young boys and then kill them, yeah, it's the same one. It's the same It's the same Aleister Crowley. The same Aleister Crowley that has influenced the modern day rock and roll movement. I mean, the Beatles, Beatles have a picture of him on their, I think it's Sgt. Uh, Pepper's Lonely Heart Club band album. He's right there in, in their, their pantheon of, of uh, people that they love. Aleister Crowley. Led Zeppelin loved. I mean, there's, there's, he had a lot to do with the 60's movement of, you know, yeah. His motto was, do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. And that was the, that was the motto of the 60s. Hey man, if it feels good, do it. Well, that's what they did. And Aleister Crowley had a lot to do with it, because he was influencing the rock groups that were putting out this junk. This is the same Aleister Crowley. We could do a whole expose on Aleister Crowley. This man was beyond satanically possessed. He was trying to get as satanically possessed as he possibly could. And this was L. Ron Hubbard's mentor. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? So Hubbard was clearly involved in the occult. In 1945, L. Ron Hubbard met Jack Parsons of Jet Propulsion's Laboratories, okay, who was a renowned scientist, protege of, he was also a protege of Aleister Crowley. You'll notice a lot of these people that are very, very, very high up in either religious circles or uh, the government or whatever, Many, many, many times, these are the same people that are involved in high, high-level occult. Because Satan rewards his own. And, he, and, and many times, they're, and many times too, people that are at that level are very intelligent. And those are the same people that have a very, very hard time with any concept of a God ruling over them. They don't want any God to rule over them. They want to be God of their own universe, because look how smart they are. They're not going to have some God rule over them. Well, you can choose that now in this life, but in the next life, you'll have 
you'll have God ruling over you for all eternity as you plunge in a lake of fire. I mean, it, it doesn't matter what you want. You better you better either conform to what the, the, the Word of God tells you to do, or prepare to burn in lake of fire. Because those are the only two ultimate options that you're going to have. So Parsons, who was a renowned scientist, protege of Aleister Crowley, and a member of the notorious Ordo Templar Orientis, an international organization founded by Crowley to practice black sexual magic. I know somebody that was in the OTO. I don't know her personally, but my mom worked with a friend. And she had a daughter that went into this cult. Okay? And one day my mom gets a call from this lady. Her name was Betty. And she says, my daughter's just, and she went out to, to California, which is where the, the, the headquarters of the OTO is, Ordo Templar Orientis, which is what Aleister Crowley started, this black magic sex cult. And she says, my, my daughter's been found brutally murdered. They, she was, her body was stuffed in a trunk. And the first thing I said to my mom was, well, she's been ritually sacrificed. Guaranteed. Either, either she agreed to be ritually sacrificed, or she ticked one of the high priests off, and they had to take her out. Or maybe she was wanting to get out. I don't know. One reason or another, she wound up dead. And I told my mom, I said, this is what happened. I said, it was one of these three things. Well, I went up and started doing a little more research on the OTO. I went up to their website and I found out what they believed. And I can't even repeat what they believe on tape. Because it's not even appropriate for me to discuss. It's so disgusting. As far as their views on salvation. Not even, not even appropriate to discuss. And uh, I printed all this information out, and I sent it to this Betty lady, who was also a witch, self-avowed pagan. In fact, I got, I got into some conversations with her about that. And Betty, that was the last we ever heard of Betty. Now, all I gave her was the truth, but see, she loved the high priest at the, o, the, at the OTO so much. She just believed emphatically whatever he would tell her. This was Betty, because she sent her daughter, her daughter went there, and she loved this, this high-level witch. This stuff goes on. This I'm not making this stuff up. It really goes on. I gave Betty all this information, but yet she didn't want to hear it. Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? He that judgeth the matter before he heareth it, it is a folly and a shame on him. There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Proverbs 14.12 and Proverbs 16.25. So, she, Betty's trusting in her, in her own heart. Oh, it feels right to me. Well, the Bible says he who trusteth in his own heart is a fool. Proverbs 28, 26. Oh, that's, that's harsh. Well, the Bible says in Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? It's not my rule book. It's God's. That's why we don't want to trust in our own heart. But Betty, yeah, she, she fell for this hook, line, and sinker. And she was paid. And I remember at the time she was on real good terms with my mom and she says, if I ever die, I have this big black chest in my room. If I ever die, don't open that chest, ever. You take it and you get rid of it. So she told my mom. I have no idea what... I think she was at a very high level. Whatever she was doing, it was dark. It wasn't into the white magic stuff. I think she was into the heavy-duty black stuff. And it's no wonder her daughter, having the same, the same probably religious bent, goes into the OTO. Her reward is a brutal murder. But yeah, I just want to give you a little, little background the, on the OTO there. Parsons had Hubbard move onto the property of Parsons' Pasadena, California home. So, let's get this straight. 
Ron Parsons of Jet Propulsion Laboratories had Ron Hubbard of the Scientology movement move on to his property in Pasadena, California. It was there that Hubbard began to practice the occult and sexual magic. Parsons' mistress, Sarah Northrup, left him for Hubbard and later became Hubbard's second wife, even before Hubbard had divorced his first wife. Oh, he sounds like he's setting a real great example right from the get-go. You know, really good example. Now, that was in the Los Angeles Times, 19, uh, June 24, 1990, page A37. Biographer, every single thing I'm, I'm quoting out of this is referenced. Every single quote. Biographer Russell Miller wrote, quote, Parsons considered that Ron had great magical potential and took the risk of breaking his solemn oath of secrecy to acquaint Ron with some of the OTO rituals, the Ordo Templar Orientis rituals. Parsons wrote to his most beloved father, his term for Aleister Crowley, to acquaint him with the events. He said to Aleister Crowley, About three months ago, I met Captain L. Ron Hubbard. Although he had no formal training in magic, he has an extraordinary amount of experience and understanding in the field. From some of his experiences, I deduce that he was in direct touch with some higher intelligence. Possibly his guardian angel. Oh, but aren't all guardian angels? I mean, the New Age people love their guardian angels. They're women guardian angels with wings and halos. There's no such thing. Maybe a guardian devil. But according to the Bible, angels always appeared as men without wings, without halos. Okay, now I'm not saying that it's not possible from an angelic point of view that, an, uh, that a male angel could appear with wings. I'm not, say, I'm not up in heaven okay, to say that. But I'm telling you, in the Bible, it doesn't happen that way. And they sure don't ever appear as women with wings and halos. That's new age. My little girl told my mom the other day, she said, Grandma, you need to get rid of that, that, uh, that woman angel with wings or whatever. And, oh, my mom came unglued. Oh, no, don't you touch my... What, she called it a guardian angel or something? Oh, my. Well, that's... The, what, what is that? That's religious spirits. That's devils. There's devils connected with that thing. And if you got any of them in your house, get rid of them. Because we're not supposed to make anything graven of, of in heaven above or the ground below or in the sea. We're not supposed to make graven images and worship these things or give them any type of reverence. We're not supposed to have pictures of Jesus and the pictures of Jesus aren't even accurate because they have some long-haired hippie Jesus. And the Bible says it's a folly and a shame for a man to have long hair. So in this letter, it goes on, Parsons talking to uh, Aleister Crowley. He describes... Now, now this is... This is Ron Parsons of Jet Propulsion Laboratory talking to his most beloved father, Aleister Crowley, as he refers to him as, in regard to L. Ron Hubbard. He goes on to say, L. Ron Hubbard, founder of Scientology, describes his angel as a beautiful winged woman with red hair, whom he calls Empress. Well, isn't that special? Oh, I feel religious all over. And who has guided him through his life and saved him many times. Oh. He is the most thelmic, meaning self-willed, independent. Oh, like that's good. That's, but he says it's a good thing. He is the most thelmic, which means self-willed and independent person I have ever met as it, and is in complete accord with our own principles. Now this is from the Barefaced Messiah, the true story of L. Ron Hubbard. Page 117 through 118. And then it goes on to say, Parsons wanted to attempt an experiment in black magic 
that would push back the frontiers of the occult world. With the assistance of his new friend, L. Ron Hubbard, he intended to try to create a, quote, moon child. The magical child mightier than all the kings of the earth, whose birth had been prophesied in the book of the law more than 40 years earlier, and the book of the law was what was written by Aleister Crowley. Now, this is the humble beginnings of L. Ron Hubbard, of the Church of Scientology, okay? Former high-ranking Scientologist Brett Corden and L. Ron Hubbard's son, L. Ron Hubbard Jr., said, quote, In order to obtain women prepared to bear this magical child, Parsons and Hubbard engaged themselves for 11 days of rituals on January 18th, I guess starting on January 18th, Parsons found the girl who was prepared to become the mother of Babylon and to go through the required incantation rituals. During these rituals, which took place on the first three days of March 1946, Parsons was the high priest and had sexual intercourse with the girl. Who knows how old she was. While Hubbard, who was present, acted as the scryer, or the seer, or the clairvoyant, and described what was supposed to be happening on the astral plane. Ooh. Now, this is also called the Babylonian working. Okay, where they were trying to release, from a spiritual standpoint, the whore of Babylon on this, wor on this earth. Now, Aleister Crowley had done something very similar, called the Elamtroth working, where he tried to open a gateway or a dimension in the spirit world and introduced through this gateway this thing called Lamb, who looks a lot like the modern-day gray aliens. Now, I'm not making this stuff up. I mean this. People in the occult are trying right now, more than ever, to try to do what they call to open dimensional doorways into our universe. See, there's been a restraining force through the Lord Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit, through His holy angels, for a long time. But the problem is, as, as evil men and seducers wax worse and worse, as the Bible predicted, as we get closer and closer and closer to the end times, there's going to be more of these demonic, fallen angelic entities that are going to be released into our dimension and have more free reign. Why? Because we're giving them that free reign and because there's occultists all around the world actively trying to open these doors. Go, go see a Harry Potter movie. They're doing the same stuff in there. They're trying to, they're trying to use these things, these supposed, supposed sometimes benevolent or malevolent entities in order to do their bidding on this earth. They're trying to create dimensional doorways that allow these things access to us. Well, doesn't it say in the book of Revelation that they're going to release out of the bottomless pit all these spirits? Remember when it says that? Well, what is that all about? The exact same thing I'm talking about, just on a much larger scale. Okay, but leading up, I mean, have you noticed how wicked the world's gotten? Have you noticed that if you went back a hundred years ago, it wasn't near that wicked? What, what do you think might be happening? Do you think it's just because people are just getting more and more wicked? What's prompting that? A lot of it has to do with the occult. And we're not, we don't even have a clue as Christians about it. We don't. And this is stuff you can't talk about in the church. Oh, now he's really getting off in left field. Can't talk about that. Now he's really gone nuts. Well, doesn't the Bible say we battle not against flesh and blood? but against princes, principalities, rulers of wickedness in high places, this is where our true battle is, and this is why we're to put on the full armor of God every day? I mean, that's what the Bible says. I guess I'm just crazy. Go to Ephesians 6. Look it up yourself. That's where our true battle is. But see, our eyes aren't focused on that battle as Christians. Our, I mean, it's, it's so easy in the flesh 
to not be focused. I mean, I admit it happens to me all the time. I, I get my eyes focused on maybe a person or whatever. And really, it's the demons slash fallen angels that are actually emanating and operating through a given organization or a person that is really behind his motivations or her, her, her motivations. So going on with this article, it says, Sometime in his teen years, Hubbard accompanied his mother to the Library of Congress, where he became acquainted with Aleister Crowley's The Book of the Law. Crowley alleged this book was dictated to him by Awas, a spirit possessing fantastic knowledge and powers. Well, didn't it say the Antichrist was going to come with all lying signs and wonders, and that if it were possible, even the very elect would be deceived? Satan's good at what he does. Says he can come as an angel of light, and it's no marvel that his ministers can be transformed into ministers of righteousness, appearing as ministers of righteousness. Isn't this what should, we should really be on the lookout for? If we really, I mean, we can talk all about Benny Hinn and all these false ministries and rail on them, and and it's true, okay. But what is behind that? It's the spiritual component that doesn't get addressed near as much as it needs to be, and these are things that we can pray in regard to, that we should be praying in regard to. But the church, the 501c3 corporate church of America isn't doing that. It's not politically correct. And they don't want to get their tax exempt status yanked. So, going further, this was Crowley's Bible, which was this book of the law. And perhaps the most important book in the life of L. Ron Hubbard was this book of the law written by Aleister Crowley. The Great Beast, 666. That was his mentor. Crowley's magic, in theory and practice, Crowley's, Crowley, Crowley's, okay, book called Magic in Theory and Practice states, the whole and the sole objective of all true magical training is to become free from every kind of limitation. Meaning, do whatever you want to do. You could, if you want to go do the most perverse thing to a child, do it. Doesn't matter. We, that's being free from all limitations. See, they believed that they became gods, and that they were they became such high gods that they transcended mere good or evil. They were above these things. They believed this. Hubbard says in 1952, in a taped Scientology lecture, our whole activity tends to make an individual completely independent of any limitation. Well, isn't that nice? Isn't that a great excuse to do whatever you want to do? No matter if it violates some other person's rights. What about them? Oh, that's, we don't think about that. We only think about ourselves. In 1952, uh, in Hubbard's 1952 Philadelphia Doctorate Course Lectures, he states, quote, The magical cults of the 8th, 9th, 10th, 11th, and 12th centuries in the Middle East were fascinating. The only modern work that has any, anything to do with them is a trifle wild in spots but in a fascinating work in and of itself. And that's the work of Aleister Crowley. The late Aleister Crowley, a very good friend of mine, he signs himself as the Beast. Mark of the Beast 666. End of quote. That's right from Hubbard. L. Ron Hubbard. You know, the founder of Scientology, the, 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 the author of Dianetics, the owner's manual for the human mind, Nonetta. Did you know that? It's the owner's manual for the human... I could have swore the Bible was, but he took that credit. Yeah. According to Ron Jr., his father considered himself to be one who came after. That he was Crowley's successor. That he had, and now this is, this is L. Ron Hubbard Jr.'s son saying that, that he was the successor. He picked up the demonic 
evil mantle of Aleister Crowley. He had taken on the mantle of the great beast. He told him that Scientology actually did begin on December 1st, 1947. And that this was the day Aleister Crowley died. See, when somebody dies in the occult, there can be a spiritual exchange. Because the demons and the devils that are possessing that person that dies, and this is well known in the occult, can transfer to other people that have those same open doors. It's very, very, very well known if, if you're in a generational Luciferian family, and let's say your dad were to die, well, don't be, don't be surprised if that very same day you get a boatload of demons infesting you that you never had before, because they seek a home. Doesn't the Bible say that? Doesn't the Bible say that when, it, when, it, when a devil enters out of a man, he seeks, he goes into the desert and dry places, and he seeks to inhabit a house again? Why is that? Well, in the Bible, it says that as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. Now, I've covered this in other, in other things. I'm just going to touch on this. When the Nephilim or the fallen ones that were the offspring of the fallen angels and the woman of Genesis 6, when they were killed during the flood, most likely, the majority of them were killed, was that a human spirit? What was that? It was some kind of off... some kind of other offspring. Those spirits inhabited a body while they were on this earth. Do you think they might want to seek to inhabit a body now? I don't see any place in the Bible where it said they went to hell. I know that there are certain angels that left their first estate that are chained in Tartarus. It says that very clearly. But this is where we most likely get the origin of demons. The disembodied spirit of the Nephilim of the fallen ones that walked the earth during Genesis chapter 6. Now they in turn seek to inhabit a body now because that's what they were used to doing when they walked this earth. Now, that's pretty heavy-duty stuff I just said. But I think I can back it up. And I've done this in other teachings. Uh, it's just I don't have time to get into it right now. So we go a little bit further. As with other areas of Hubbard's life, Scientologists have attempted to revise an understanding of these events. While they admit that Parsons was a leader of the Black Magic Group, that a girl was used in a sex ritual, and that Hubbard moved in, Scientology claims that Hubbard was working underground for naval intelligence. Scientology claims that Hubbard rescued the girl, and he was able to break up the Black Magic in America. Yeah. Right. So this is what the Scientologists have attempted to do to sanitize Hubbard's, L. Ron Hubbard's involvement with Satanism. Okay, this is what they've tried to do to sanitize the whole thing. And you, you know they're going to... The, in fact, most of their... A, a large portion of their cult is dedicated to damage control. Because there is so many horrific things that are committed in this occult, not only by the founder, but by people that get involved with it. And they've got to cover it up some way. Just like the Catholic Church does. We just talked about that. Yet the FBI files on Parsons showed that he was investigated regularly because of his government job and retained his high security clearance until his death. There was no mention of Hubbard in any investigation. Also, Parsons', Parsons widow disputed Scientology's account, stating that Parsons and Hubbard liked each other very much and they worked well together. This was in the Los Angeles Times. It is certain that the OTO and the black magic in America have never been broken up. 
Furthermore, in 1957, Hubbard wrote a Scientology bulletin describing Parsons as quite a man. And in 1952, Hubbard favorably referred to the late Aleister Crowley, indicating he was a very good friend of mine. And again, this is all referenced when I'm reading you. So this John Attack has researched and found and found copying from the extensive parallels between Scientology and Aleister Hubbard. Alistair Crowley and other occult work. And there's a link you can go to to look at all this. For example, Hubbard was a member of the ancient and mystical Order of the Rosé Crucius in 1940. After his membership lapsed, there were complaints that he had carried some of their secret teachings into Scientology. Now this is the same thing that got, uh, I believe, Joseph Smith shot because he came out of the Masons. He took a lot of the secrets of the Masons in and started the Mormon religion. And when he was shot, from what, I could, from what I could understand, he was doing the universal distress signal for a mason with, that they make in order that, that you know, other masons would come to their aid. But the thing is, is, is the guys that had their finger on the trigger and all had Masonic rings on. See, he had betrayed the masons. He had stolen their secrets, so he was scheduled to be taken out. That was how Joseph Smith ended up dying. So if we go further... In Philadelphia's doctorate course lectures, Hubbard instructed his listeners in Crowley's system of tarot cards. Attack notes that in his book, Equinox, Sex, and Religion, Crowley represented the theta sign as the essential principle of his system, Thelma or the will. To Hubbard, the Thetian is also the essence of a person. And the purpose of an operating Thetian is to be able to control others by intention or will and be able to exteriorize exercising control of matter, energy, space, and time. See, they refer to their, I think, their higher level guys in Scientology as Thetians, which has a lot to do with Thelma, which is where we, which is what Aleister Crowley said, which is basically, do what thou will will be the whole lot. Do, if it feels good, do it. Okay, so, the Thetians um, were, were they, they, wanted, they wanted these people in Scientology to actually be able to control the the will and the intention of others. I mean, this stuff's evil. Both Crowley and Hubbard believed in reincarnation and deemed it important to explore the recollection of past lives. Crowley described Jesus Christ as concocted. In other words, he was just made up. This is a similar to Hubbard's claim that Christ is an implant. Um, a false concept meant to suppress man from advancing. Oh, isn't that the excuse they always give? Anything they can do to, to explain away Christ and to justify their own sin. In May, in May 6, 1991, the cover story was entitled The Cult of Greed in Time Magazine described Scientology's organization, the Church of Scientology stated by science fiction writer L. Ron Hubbard to clear people of unhappiness, portrays itself as a religion. In reality, the church is a hugely profitable global, global racket that survives by intimidating members and cites in cities in a mafia-like manner. I mean, these guys are nasty in the way they intimidate their members, especially the farther you go in. Scientology is quite likely the most ruthless and most classically terroristic and most litigious and most lucrative cult the country has ever seen. Time Magazine actually said this. That was pretty cool. In the, in the previous issue of the Expositor, uh, this is the Watchman Expositor, 
they began a series exposing Scientology and the Dianetics cult. Part one of the series exposed Scientology's duplicitous claims of compatibility with Christianity, contrasting its own bizarre and secret teachings with the truth of Christianity, as well as demonstrating its contempt for Christ. Part two focuses on the elaborate myths spun around Scientology's uh, founder, L. Ron Hubbard. Jesus... Jesus warned in Matthew 24, 4-5, Take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. Hubbard was a man who was able to strongly and powerfully transfix his followers and seduce them into accepting his own fantastic delusions of grandeur. He was thus able to build a multi-million dollar international empire and one of the most controversial, totalistic, clandestine religions in history. Scientologists have idolized and you. You eulogized? How do you spell? Eulogized. Eulogized Mr. Hubbard to the point of an almost godlike status. It is no coincidence that biographers of Scientology founder L. Ron Hubbard titled their books L. Ron Hubbard, Messiah or Madman, or The Barefaced Messiah. Note these biographies in the third one, A Piece of Blue Sky by former Scientologist John Attack, were all targets of an aggressive Scientology legal campaign to prevent their works from being published and distributed. The courts denied Scientology's attempts to stop the distribution of L. Ron Hubbard, Messiah or Madman, and attacks piece on the Peace of Blue Sky. Scientology suits were over copyright issues, not the author's accuracy. In fact, author John Attack has probably the most extensive archives of primary Scientology documentation in the world. Between 1950 and his death in 1986, Hubbard had skillfully transformed himself from a pulp fiction writer to a writer of sacred scriptures. That was from the Los Angeles Times. Official Scientology spokesman Lisa Goodman states that Hubbard write, Hubbard's writings and lectures on the human spirit comprise the scripture of the Scientology religion. Hubbard is the sole source of scriptures. He has no successor. How insane and asinine. Cursed be the man that trusteth... No, no, thus saith the Lord. Cursed be the man that trusteth in man, that maketh flesh his arm, and whose heart departeth from the Lord. Well, if you join Scientology, you're trusting in man, and you've just brought yourself under a curse. Scientology is egocentric. The ego of L. Ron Hubbard is essential and central. The leaders and the followers of Scientology are on a never-ending quest to legitimize, establish, and spread both their religious... The technology and their grandiose image of Hubbard, and it seems the end always justifies the means. During a March 13, 1992 satellite broadcast celebrating Hubbard's birthday, Scientology board chairman David Miscavige expressed their surrealistic belief, quote, we have arrived at a new plateau of recognition and respect in the world. More people in more countries, more officials, more leaders have come to realize that L. Ron Hubbard's tech evidently technology, is the answer to today's problems. L. Ron Hubbard's personal public relations officer, Mike Rinder, also related that Hubbard's popularity had grown among millions around the world through his application of tech. Well, through his application of brainwashing, that's about it. That's the only reason his, his, his numbers have grown. An honest examination of Hubbard's life uncovers a life of fantasy, fraud, lies, relentless pursuits, pursuit of money and power, and apparent paranoia that paralyzed the history, beliefs, and practices of, the, of his Scientology organization. Yet Reiner also stated, when you look at any area of Hubbard's life, you find lessons of how to be successful in the art of living. Any single part of his life is a microcosm of the whole. He mastered every idea of life. Oh, does that include the Satanism and the, and the, you know, the sex rituals and all this other stuff? 
How was Hubbard able to weave his image that has captured the hearts and minds and souls of many? Where did he get his power? The art, this article is one of the following. We'll separate the facts from fantasy concerning the history of L. Ron Hubbard and the expose, the diabolical source of his occult power. In the beginning, L. Ron Hubbard was born in Titan, Nebraska, 1911. The Hubbards soon moved to Montana. Hubbard's father, Harry, rejoined the U.S. Navy as an officer in 1917. There are parts of his life that can be accurately known. Uh, and then it goes through things, a few of the things that, that he's done. Hubbard also was married at least three times. His third wife, Mary Sue Hubbard, and ten other Scientologists were in prison for conspiracy and burglary. Hubbard himself was also named as an unindicted co-conspirator. Scientology claims that Hubbard produced over 800 written works, selling 94 million copies in 31 different languages. Of Hubbard's Dianetics book alone, the church claims over 1,600 million copies have been sold. No, 16 million. In the late 18, 1980s, it appeared regularly in publisher weekly bestseller. However, there is an ironic truth in the statement that any single part of his life is a microcosm of the whole. Examining the microcosm of the issue of popularity gained through the high rate of book sales, one does not gain insight into the pattern of a contrived success that characterized, characterized Hubbard's whole life. When the Los Angeles Times produced their in-depth investigative report of Scientology, they discovered how Scientology accomplished their bestseller's feat. The sales have been fueled by radio and TV advertising blitz, unprecedented in book circles. Sounds like Harry Potter. Um, and it was discovered that Scientology employees and members were showing up at the major bookstores paying cash for armloads of Hubbard's books, sometimes between 50 to 100 to 200 copies at a crack. Well, yeah, when you got everybody in your cult showing up to buy 50 to 100 to 200 copies at a crack, you're going to sell a ton of books. And what they were probably doing, knowing that the, that, that money is going to go back to the mother church, they were probably considering that as a way they could tithe. You know? Probably the most detailed and damaging revelations concerning the myths of Scientology has crafted about Hubbard's occurred in a court of law. Gerald Armstrong introduced devastating documents in a testimony during his trial in a 1984 suit brought against him by the Church of Scientology. Armstrong has been a devoted member of the CU the CEOG, a branch of Scientology organization. Uh, he was close. He was a close aide to Hubbard, who had approved him as a personal public relations officer. Armstrong began to collect and compile an enormous amount of extant Hubbard documents, which included letters, diaries, medical records, and official documents relating to Hubbard's earlier years. When Armstrong began to discover the reality had little resemblance to Hubbard's own autobiography, he left the church. Feeling threatened, he copied and or kept documents for his own protection. <clears throat> Scientology sued Armstrong, charging him with stealing their private paper. Scientology lost the case, and the evidence and the documents presented in the case brought about critical revealing statements by Judge Breckenridge of the Los Angeles Superior Court. He wrote, The organization Scientology clearly is a schizophrenic and paranoid, and this bizarre combination seems to be a reflection of its founder, L. Ron Hubbard. The evidence portrays a man who has been virtually a pathological liar when it comes to history, background, and achievements. Now that's from a Los Angeles Supreme Court judge, Paul Breckenridge, after he'd heard all the information. Pathological liar. Which is what you get with most people that are involved in this level of the occult. They don't care. Anything, if the, the, anything as, far, as long as the end justifies the mean. That's fine. You can do whatever you want. As long as the end justifies the mean. You can lie, you can cheat, you can steal, you can rape, you can pillage, it doesn't matter. Do what thou will will be the whole of the law. Armstrong demonstrated through the documents that contrary to Hubbard's claims, he was not educated in higher mathematics or physics. 
and did not obtain a bachelor degree in science. He was not a civil engineer. He was not a nuclear physicist, was not in China at the age of 14, and lied about the time he spent traveling to Asia. He did not study with the Lama priest. He was never in India. He was not crippled. He was not blinded during the war. He was, not, he was not pronounced dead twice. He did not cure himself with his discoveries. And he was not awarded 21 medals and palms and did not see combat at all. And that Hubbard had lied about many other things to embellish his image. Follow me! So it sounds like old Ronnie, there were some serious problems with, with, uh, with Ron. I think, um, I'm just looking at the rest of this article. I had pretty much crossed it out. Even how Hubbard's death is, is, mytholo is mythologized, the church now claims that rather than Hubbard dying, the fact that he is willing to discard his body after it was no longer useful to him signifies his ultimate success. The conquest of life that he embarked upon half a century ago. He was now off to the next phase of his spiritual exploration. Let me tell you something. L. Ron Hubbard's burning in hell right now. And he's going to go to, to the great white throne judgment where he will then be cast into the lake of fire. That's his destiny. And he's going to have a lot of blood on his hands. He took a lot of people to hell with him. His punishment's going to be even worse than you could possibly ever envision or imagine. That's what I know about L. Ron Hubbard. The truth is that this false messiah, described as a madman by his own son, who supposedly had achieved the ability to exert power over matter, energy, space, and time, died a physically, mentally, and sick man of a stroke. The Bible says, It is appointed unto man once to die, but after this the judgment. Hebrews 9.27 And for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that every one may receive the things done in the body, according to that he have done, whether it be good or bad, well, the judgment seat of Christ is not where he's going to go. He's going to the great white throne judgment. Judgment seat of Christ is for believers. Hubbard today is not, is not charting the course for anyone to follow. Unfortunately, the only course he ever charted anyone in this life was a road to eternal ruin and hell. Between there and heaven is a great gulf fixed which talks about in Luke 16.26 that no man can bridge or cross through any false religion. The only way you get there is through the Lord Jesus Christ, His death, burial, and resurrection, believing on that. Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believed on Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For you are saved by grace, through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And if you believe with your mouth and confess with your heart that, that Christ be raised from the dead, thou shalt be saved. These are things that we need to understand in regard to salvation. It's not by works. Not by works of righteousness which we have done that we are saved. But according to His mercy He saved us through the Lord Jesus Christ, His death, burial, and resurrection. And I'm going to go ahead and just close this out for today in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank You for this time that You've given us. I do thank You, Lord God, for letting us put forth this truth. I do pray, God, that the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart would be pleasing in Your sight, O Lord. That You would use the body of Christ mightily, Lord God. That Your fear would be upon us. And that fear, Lord God, would lead us to repentance, collectively and individually. In the name of Jesus Christ, that You would use us, the body of Christ, mightily for Your glory. That many would be saved as a result of what You would do through Your body. In the name of Jesus Christ. That the people that were listening to this, whether they, if, if there be any listening to this that are unsaved, I pray to God that their souls be saved, Father God. For it's your will that not one would perish, but that all would come to repentance. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray that your convicting spirit would be upon them. 
and that your, convic- your convicting spirit would be upon the body of Christ, and that, Lord God, that we would be pleasing in your sight by our works, deeds, and actions. Lord God, that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to receive. And we ask all these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.